right, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter number 6. We, we just can't get out of this chapter, can we? <laughs> it's been a long journey, and we, we, still, got a, we still got a ways to go. And uh, I'm not going to go back and review where we've been. Uh, I suspect most of you already know, but we pick up in verse 16. The subject of this entire section has to do with sinfulness. We've already talked about suretyship and slothfulness and uh, spitefulness. And uh, now we get on the general subject of sinfulness. Let me just begin by reading verse 16 and then we'll look at the rest of it. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. You know, whenever something gets out of balance, you can always expect trouble sooner or later. You can ignore it for a little while, but before long you're going to have a problem. If a tire gets out of balance, you know, uh, you can keep driving it, but it's not going to get better. It doesn't fix itself is what I'm saying. And, and so regardless of what it is, it, in order to function properly, it's got to be in balance. More important than anything else you can think of is the matter of theology. When our theology gets out of balance, we really get ourselves in trouble. And that's what has happened in, in, in our world today. It's out of balance because most people have what I call a lopsided view of God. That is, whenever you mention the word God, most people automatically, you know, the lights come on and, uh, uh, and they think about love. God, God's a God of love. Well, He is, but, but that's not all there is to God. That's why the Bible says, Behold both the goodness and the severity of God. And they seldom ever think about God being a hater, but He is. And whenever I looked at this section and what we're going to talk about tonight, you know, I thought, you know, really the perfect title for this section is God's Hate List. Did you ever think about God having a hate list? He's got a list of things that He hates. Now, naturally, there are a lot of other sins that could be mentioned. And, you know, I'm not smart enough to figure out exactly why God mentioned these. You know, if I passed out a piece of paper tonight and told everybody, said, I want you to write down seven horrible, terrible sins, things that you just despise and what have you, that, you know, sins that, that are really, really bad. And, you know, I just wonder if our list would come out anywhere near this list. I, I really suspect there's some things on this list that would never get, never get mentioned on ours. And, and, and so God's not saying these are the only things that I hate. He's simply giving us an example, and he's got a good reason for it. Uh, this is actually a well-known portion of Scripture. There have been uh, movies actually made out of this uh, section of, of Scripture, you know, uh, serial killers and what have you. Uh, and uh, so a lot of people know about it, but we really don't take it all of that serious. And I hope tonight that maybe... Maybe something that we say or what the Lord does will will help change that because we're going to look at these sins in in a bit of detail. But before we do, 
there are some general facts about this section I want you to think of. I sat down and I jotted six things that I want you to think of. I want to call this to your attention, and then we'll get right into the study proper. First of all, and this is important, this section is a continuation of what has gone before. It's not a separate section. You know, it's not something that does not relate to what we've already been talking about. And in these verses here, he explains that sin is not only harmful to us, and we've been talking about that, right, the harmfulness of sin, how it affects us, but it's hated by God. God hates what harms you. So this is connected with everything else we've talked about. Secondly, the sins listed here are specific. Uh, in, in other words, he goes beyond simply using the word sin uh, or transgression or wickedness. Uh, he is speaking about specific sins, and we need to keep that in mind, especially whenever we're teaching others and dealing with others. Uh, we need to be mindful that if, even when it comes to confession, confessing our sins, the Bible says if we confess our sins, and I think I said the other day, I wanted you to notice that was in the plural so whenever you go to 1 John 1, 9 and you get down on your knees at night and you go to pray and, and you say something like, uh, Heavenly Father, forgive me of all of my sin or all of my sins, God is expecting us to get specific about those. What do you want God to forgive you for? You know, that's, like, that's kind of like saying, Lord, I just pray for the whole world. Well, I, listen, if they just took me to the hospital with a heart attack or something, I, you know, and somebody says, well, Brother Stone just went to the hospital, and uh, I think we need to pray. And somebody gets up and say, Dear Lord, we just pray for the whole world. It's in a mess. Amen. I don't want you praying like that. I want you to get down to business. I want you to pray for me. Be specific about it. And, and when it comes to the matter of our sins, we need to name those sins and confess what it is that was offensive to God. That word confess means to agree with. We need to come into agreement with what God thinks about that specific sin. And so here we see God getting right down to what, you know, we, old J. Vernon McGee used to say, you know, where the rubber meets the road and uh, down to the nitty gritty. I mean, this, this is where it's at. Well, uh, one preacher that you all, well, one so-called preacher that you all know about said, well, he didn't preach on sin. Everybody already knows about sin, so, you know, he, he, he never mentioned sin. Well, you can't preach the gospel and you can't lead people to Christ if you don't preach about sin. And, and here the Lord's getting specific about it. Now, thirdly, notice that this list here, the whole list, the things mentioned here are associated with various parts of the body. Now, we talked about this in the last message, and here we see the same thing again where he's talking about the members of the body, and, 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 and all he's doing is showing us how that, that every organ of the body is affected by sin and can be used for sinful purposes. And, and I always think about what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present your what? Your bodies as a living sacrifice. In, in other words, if, if, if we truly surrender ourselves to God, he's going, he's going to have our body, soul, and spirit, right? And, 
And so God wants our body because the body is the expression of us and the body is the vehicle that we use, in, you know, to serve God. Uh, I think somebody wrote a song about uh, Brandon, I think, sings one about, you know, we are his hands, we are his feet, we are his eyes, you know, uh, in this world. And, and sin affects the various members of our body. Now, notice not only that, but number four, it comes to my mind that these are exactly the opposite of Christian virtues. Whenever we think about, for example, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and right on down that ends with temperance there in the book of Galatians, and you look at all of these Christian virtues, this is just the opposite of that. And, you know, instead of love, you have hate. Instead of peace, you've got division. Instead of joy, you've got misery. So this is just the opposite of what we ought to be as Christians. And then number five, all of these things are hated by God. And so we should never assume that God is indifferent toward any sin because all sin is contrary to God's nature. God hates it. Whatever form it takes, God hates sin. And then number six, there are seven sins mentioned here. Now, he starts out by saying, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven. And in, in, in the Bible, seven is the number of perfection or completeness and what have you. So it's like he's just rolling it up all in one ball of wax. And seven are an abomination to him. I just said that all sin is contrary to God's holy nature, that he hates it. And it's important that we remember that because God's hatred of sin is not due to pride. That's not the point. You know, why, why does God hate sin? Well, you know, somebody says, well, because it offends him. Well, generally, whenever we think about offending people, we think about somebody that's, you know, got a a certain amount of pride, and we hurt their pride in some way, and so that is offensive to them. But God doesn't have any pride. So it's not because of God's pride. It's not because of any prejudice or personal preference for God. It, it, It has to do with God's character. It has to do with God's holiness. Because God is holy, anything contrary to His holiness is something that God must hate. Because God cannot do the opposite of His nature. God is love. That's true. God is love. But because God is holy, He has to hate that which is contrary to His nature. So, Sin is something that God hates, and if God hates it, we ought to hate it. Now, let's look at each one of these, beginning in verse 17. We're just going to take them one at a time and and speak just a little bit about them. Number one, he says, a proud look. And remember this word abomination. That's important. That means loathsome. It means detestable. It means something that is repulsive, and it's telling us what God thinks about pride. Uh, I have a, have a message that I've preached several times from the book of Proverbs. And just if you go through Proverbs and just look at, you know, none of the other verses in the Bible, but just look at what Proverbs says about pride. And here's what you learn. Number one, pride provokes deity. It provokes deity. Uh, God's angry about it. God hates it. It provokes deity. It proves our depravity. 
you know, we talk about the total depravity of man, you know, that we are sinful beings. And, you know, somebody say, well, I never committed adultery. I never robbed a bank. I never murdered anyone. I never did any of those things. But there's nobody that can say I've never had a problem with pride. And pride proves our depravity. Pride also produces dissension. In, fa- in fact, the Bible says only by pride comes contention. There wasn't any pride, never be any contention. So it produces dissension, it promotes dishonor, and then it precedes destruction. It precedes destruction. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he what? Lest he fall. And that's where pride leads. Now, notice this verse though, our text, it says a proud look. So he's not just talking about pride. Notice he's telling us that pride can show in the face. I can remember, I'm sure it's been 15 years ago. Uh, that means it's probably was 20 years ago. We over to the other building. And I preached a message, and the title of it was The Christian and His Countenance. I'd never heard a message on that. I'd never read a message on that or anything but I, I just got to noticing in the Bible uh, the number of times that the Bible speaks about our countenance, how we look, you know, our facial expressions and what have you. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to preach on that, and I did. And, but the fact of the matter is, notice he says here, there is such thing as a proud look. And, and so the Bible mentions it a lot. In fact, if I counted right, the word countenance is found 58 times in the Bible. So that means it must be important to God, right? If he mentions it that many times. And uh, our countenance has a way of revealing the attitude of our heart. And, uh, you know, if we really know someone well, we can, we can tell if they're being prideful or if they're angry, or if they're sad, or if they're troubled, or if they're cheerful. There's something something about the face, and this is beyond my understanding. Even in a, watch that commercial about, you know, the, the, the dogs, the, the uh, dogs and the cats, you know, feeding all the starving animals, and who is it that, that my, my favorite pop, female singer, uh, Sarah Lachlan, sings that song with that haunting voice. and got all these pictures of these dogs. Here's a little hound dog, you know, and, and, and you can see all of the pain they're talking about. You know, these, these dogs have been abused and what have you. And, and you, you can literally see it in their face. And, and am I making any sense? And I probably sound like I lost my mind. But I'm telling you, even with animals, you can you can you can you can tell what's going on with them by by their very look. That that same thing is true with us. If you've been married very long, I'll bet you've encountered something like this, where one of you uh, said to the other, "What are you mad about?" And the response was, "What makes you think I'm mad? I'm not mad about anything. Nothing wrong." You know, we raise our voice, and boy, just the look on our face, it's obvious. And uh, now we really got to be careful with this because uh, every, everybody has different facial expressions. So don't run around judging everybody. You, you know what I mean? Say, boy, <laughs> because I've been guilty of this. 
Boy, just look at old so-and-so. He's really mad today. I, I never forget the little boy come out one day when I was preaching in Cincinnati and the little boy come out and, and uh, I'd really been bearing down on some sin. And he told his mama, he said, boy, God was mad today, wasn't he? <laughs> and, uh, in the first place, I'm not God. And in the second place, uh, you know, I don't think I was mad. I was just emphasizing something. But, but here's my point. We need to take into consideration our facial expression when we're around other people. Because somebody walks in the door for the first time, they don't know me, they don't know you or anything. First impressions are lasting impressions. We never get a second chance to make a good first impression. And anybody can smile, you know. And, and, and so it's very important. But when it comes to pride, God can see it in our face. And God hates that. He does. He hates that. And uh, so we want to make sure that, that the condition of our heart is such that, that hopefully with God's help we can avoid projecting pride out to others. Now look at verse 17 again. Here's the second thing. A lying tongue. You know, lying might be acceptable in society, but it is never, never, ever acceptable to God. I, uh, Bev and I was talking about something and uh, had had to do with the company I worked for several years ago in civil engineering, and uh, I, I, I made a statement and she asked a question and I said, "Yeah, that was the same guy, the same fellow that I worked for." that uh, wanted me to call down to Beaumont, Texas and uh, call down there and uh, to pretend that I was moving down to Texas. Now, I'd just been saved just a short time and uh, had surrendered to preach. And he wanted me to call down there. And, you know, we were going to get all of the information, what the units were renting for and what have you, so we'd know how to, how to you know, uh, work with our client on what, they could price it for. And I, I said, uh, but I, I'm not moving down there. And he said, I know you're not moving down there. You just, I just want you to pretend that you are so you can get the rates. And so I said, that'd be lying. And he looked at me like, I, you've lost your mind. What are you talking about? I said, that's lying. And I said, I, I'm just not going to do it. I, I said, you can fire. He said, that's business. People do it all the time. I, you call it anything you want. But I said, and you can fire me if you want to, and uh, and uh, but I'm not going to do it. Well, he didn't fire me, and uh, I I thank the Lord for that, and I'm glad that later he respected me for it and let me know that. But he was sure irritated for the time being because I wouldn't cooperate. Well, you know the Bible condemns lying over and over again. And what we need to remember is lying can take many different forms. You know, it, it can be a matter of deceit. Somebody says, well, you know, I, well, I, I, I wasn't lying about it. <laughs> really. You, you just deceived the person. You made them think one thing, you know, by twisting things around or left something out. Deceit is lying. Broken promises, that's lying. And that's why the Bible says it's better to not vow than to vow and not pay. There's lying by way of exaggeration. Was it last week I was talking about my, you know, my old baseball coach years ago talked about catching all those fish? Well, he exaggerated everything. 
And uh, some people do that. It might have to do with flattery. <laughs> Boy, you know, it's so easy for us to get caught in that trap, isn't it? <laughs> you know, flattering someone and uh, uh, just trying to get on their good side and we'll butter them up, as we would say in Missouri, and try to impress them. And so we just shower all of these flatteries on them. We don't mean a word of it, you know. Oh boy, that you know that was the best song I've ever heard in all of my life, or or, or whatever. And we got to be careful about that because God hates sin. Listen, if there's any sin on God's hate list that that really deserves a sermon all by itself, it's probably lying because it's so very common today. People do it and they don't think anything about it. You know, uh, it, it's like. Uh, even preachers, I, you know, as, as much as I've read over the years, I can't tell you how many thousands upon thousands of thousands of articles and sermons and illustrations and things of that nature that I've read. And I've heard preachers get up and, boy, they have this, this big, long, you know, story, this illustration that gets everybody moved to tears. And, and, uh, and they're telling it like, like they were the party involved. I, I heard somebody else preach that exact same illustration 20 years before, you know, as though it were them. And then I remember, you know, I read about that. That's something I read out of a book that happened a hundred years ago. And, 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 and so even preachers have to be very careful about the fact that you know, that we tell the truth. God expects the truth out of us. And uh, I, I remember Dad saying so many times, uh, and, and he didn't use the word hate very often, but I've heard him say over and over again, I hate a liar and a thief. I hate a liar and a thief. And uh, he just kept repeating that all of his life. Well, uh, more important is the fact that God hates a lying tongue. Now, verse 17, hands that shed innocent blood. You, you know, the thing about this is, and that's really easy to understand, right? We all understand that. Somebody that would murder an innocent person, you know. But this shows us something. It shows us that sinful man is so selfish that he will do anything in order to get what he wants, even if it means killing someone. And every year we got Black Friday coming up, you know, or there'll be a big sale on Michael Jordan tennis shoes or whatever. It is. And every year we hear somebody getting killed over some silly thing like a pair of tennis shoes or a, or a certain phone, you know, the, the new phone generation six or seven or whatever is coming out. Somebody will kill somebody over that. It makes no sense at all. So it demonstrates just how selfish and sinful man is that we would shed innocent blood. But the one thing that most people never even think about whenever we read this is abortion. Think about that. And then you think about America and we, uh, you know, we say, God bless America. You know, and it's like, how can he? How can he bless America when all of these millions of, of innocent babies are murdered every 
single year. It's, it's mind-boggling. And, and, you know, we, it, it, it's gotten to the point that, you know, that although we as Christians don't approve of it, uh, there's nobody out here any longer, you know, really protesting it. And, uh, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to do that, by the way. Uh, but but I, I'm convinced that these people are in this category. They're guilty of shedding innocent blood. Now look at verse 18. And heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Now this has to do with the thoughts of iniquity. And it's connected back to verse number 14. And, and notice what he said in verse 14. Frowardness is in the heart. He deviseth mischief continually. Remember we talked about that last week. And so crookedness, frowardness is in the heart. And so here when he says God hates the heart that devises wicked imaginations. And so clearly, the the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And uh, God not only sees what we do, God knows what's going on within our heart. That That's a bit of a scary thought, isn't it? To think that God knows what's going on in our heart. You know, on a Sunday morning, we can put our nice clothes on and we come and we... We, we smile and we welcome one another and we open the Bible or open our songbook or whatever it is. And, and uh, let me tell you, there's no one here that is beyond Satan interjecting some kind of vile thought in your mind. Don't, you know, don't sit here and act like that you are so pure and so holy and so strong and so spiritual that it couldn't ever happen to you. You know, and as to the nature of that thought, you know, I'm not even going to try to guess. I, I, it wouldn't do any good because it can be almost anything imaginable. You know, that just shows us how rotten we are. We are literally rotten to the core. But look, you, it's not a sin to be tempted because, you know, Jesus was tempted. But it's a sin when we yield to that temptation. But we've got to understand, it's one thing, you know, it's kind of like one old preacher said, you know, uh, he said, I, I, I can't keep the birds from, uh, from landing in my hair, but I can keep them from building a nest in it. I, something along that line. I can't keep the birds from flying over my head, but I can keep them from building a nest on my, on my head. And the whole point is, you, look, you can't stop these, you know, all of the fiery darts of Satan. I mean, he's going to, he's going to be shooting these evil thoughts at you and you, you, even whether it's suspicion, you know, you're going to, you're going to think, well, you know, so and so is, uh, they've got a bad attitude. Maybe they don't. Maybe they've got a broken heart. And so you're sitting there and instead of being tuned into the message, you're thinking about something that relates to someone else that has nothing to do with worshiping God. And, and, and I'm just trying to remind you, God knows everything that's going on in our heart all of the time. And it says, whenever, whenever we devise, notice, wicked imaginations, God hates that. That word devise indicates that this is all premeditated. We are planning it. We are plotting it. We are, you know, these wicked imaginations. 
See, it's one thing to be tempted. It's another thing to lust. Because in lust, we allow those temptations to come in and to occupy our heart and to take over our thinking. And that's when temptation becomes lust. God hates it. Wicked imagination. Now, verse 18. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. (laughs) How many times do we hear people, and I know I've done it, we talk about someone falling into sin. Let me tell you a better way to think about it. You know, because most people don't fall into sin, they run headlong into it. You know, it's not like it was just an accident. They're walking along and slipped on a banana peel and whoop, there they go. They fell into sin. You know, no, it doesn't happen that way. So many times there'll be maybe a church member that will drop out, all of a sudden get involved in some particular sin, and we wonder, wow, I just can't believe that that happened so quick. No, it didn't happen quick. It's been going on weeks or months or or or, or maybe years. All of this has been brewing in their in their heart, and and eventually they cave in. And so it says God hates it whenever we are swift to to run, as it were, into mischief. And there's a lot of people, you know, that not only do they want to sin, they're in a hurry to do it. And that's the point. God hates that. Then notice number 19, two more things. A false witness that speaketh lies. Well, didn't he already cover that? Well, verse 17 is speaking about lying in general. But now notice... This is something a bit different. This has to do with lying in reference to others. And it takes us all the way back to Exodus 20:16 in the Ten Commandments where it says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. So this has to do with what, what some have called social slander. Uh, one writer put it like this, and it's so good I jotted it down. He said, Slander is amongst the greatest social curses. He robs, he robs his fellow creature of his greatest treasure, of his own reputation, and the loving confidence of his friends. Now think about that. When you lie about someone, when you deceive others into, uh, into believing the worst about a person and you ruin their reputation, you know, uh, anybody with an ounce of spirituality, their reputation is everything to them. Their name means something to them. They'd rather you steal their money than ruin their reputation. When we slander other people, when we speak lies regarding other people, that's what we're doing. We are tearing them down. And that stupid little statement, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is one of the craziest things that's ever been conjured up in man's mind. Words do hurt you. Uh, they, hurt, they, they hurt you worse than a barroom brawl. The things that people say. And it says here, God hates that. Now, lastly, verse 19 Boy, this is the one I wish I had a lot of time to deal with. And he that soweth discord among brethren. Wow. You talk about full-length sermons. I mean, this is a sermon that needs to be preached in every church in America. Now, I know that being being a pastor causes me to look at this differently than most people do. Uh, because over the years I've seen the damage 
and I felt the pain that sin causes. I've seen it. I've seen churches literally destroyed by someone sowing discord among the brethren. And as I've said so often, you know, sometimes in sowing of discord, it's not necessarily that you tell lies. It's not that you, you, that, you know, that you spoke some falsehood about a person. What you said might have been literally true, but you said something that created discord, that disrupted the peace of the body of Christ. And it, so it hinders the work that God gave us to do. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians. We're going to wrap it up with this. And boy, if ever there were some verses that ought to get our attention, I mean, this is it. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God... And the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, let me stop there for just a minute because nearly everybody interprets that uh, to mean our own personal body. And by the way, whenever you get over to chapter 6, and he speaks about in verse number 19, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? That's speaking about the individual, but this isn't. This is speaking about the church. You say, well, how do you know? Well, because if I go back to chapter number 1 and I see who Paul is speaking to, verse 2, under the church of God, which is at Corinth. This is who he's addressing the letter to, right? And so here he says, know ye not, talking to the church, know ye not that ye are the temple of God, verse 16, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now get this. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Remember, that's why God hates sin. And the temple of God is holy. That word holy is the same word we get the word sanctified from. And the word saints means sanctified ones. And it literally means set apart. Set apart for God's use. And he says, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So he's speaking about the church body. One of the most dangerous things that, that, that you and I can do is to sow discord in the church, to disrupt the fellowship of the church, to hinder the church. Because, I, you know, I, every man here feels exactly like I do. And I mentioned this the other day about, you know, how spouses have each other's back. And I mean, as long as I could stand on my feet, I'd never let somebody abuse my wife. I'd never let someone harm her as long as I was physically able to defend her. I, you know, because you hurt her, I'm going to be more angry about it than, than if you hurt me. I'm going to respond to that. Listen, the, the church is the bride of Christ. And whenever we damage the Lord's church in any way, you mark it down, he's going to deal with us. And I am totally convinced I could stand here and name names and give examples. After these 40, before I've lost, lost what year is this, 48 years now of preaching, after all of this time I look back and I just with all of my heart, I'm convinced that I know people that died prematurely. And if I, if I was at liberty to share with you the stories, you would agree. They died prematurely because of the harm they did to the Lord's church. 
It's like one old-time writer or preacher a hundred or so years ago. He said, I would rather take forked lightning in my hand than to speak evil of God's people. And boy, I mean, that's the way we ought to feel. Whatever we do, you know, that, that, that we do nothing to create strife in the Lord's church. These things God hates, they are an abomination to Him. And if, if He hates it, we ought to hate it. We love the sinner, but boy, we ought to hate the sin. Thank you so much for being here tonight.